Hello and welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Romy. And I'm Sandan. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the second installment of our three-part health series to wrap up season one of Stuck In Between. In today's episode, founder of Get Fit Janani and the Indian Dance School, Janani Beadle, joins us to share her passion for all things fitness. In the first half, Janani discusses her experience in starting her dance school. Then in the second half, we speak about her fitness business, her mission for making exercising fun and accessible, barriers within the South Asian community when it comes to being active, as well as plenty more. If you haven't already, make sure you check out the first installment of our health series from last week, where we spoke with dietitian Dr. Annika Roche. Exactly. And again, we recorded this episode during lockdown. Thank God we're out of that now. Now on today's episode. Thank you, Janiniaka, so much for joining us today. Uh, we have loved seeing all the wonderful work that you're doing to encourage people to step out of their comfort zones and, you know, really remind them that prioritizing fitness can be fun, especially during lockdowns as well. So again, we love what you're doing and thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, to set the context a little bit, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you guys for having me. It really means a lot. And um being on this podcast has really helped me reflect on the past 20 years of my career and the art side of my life. So um, I am Janine Beadle and uh, I'm currently running the Indian Dance School, which I've been running for the past 18 years to be exact. Wow. I was born in Jaffna, Sri Lanka, and uh, at the age of six, we moved to Australia. So that's like in 1988. I was born in the 80s and I've lived through the 90s and had the best time in the early 2000 and mid 2000 and never knew that I'll be stuck in lockdown in 2021. <laughs> but here we are. Hopefully um, by the time the episode comes out, we'll be out of lockdown. Oh, gosh. Let's hope. Let's hope so. Um, so um, obviously, you know, fitness and dance both play such a big role in what you're doing. Um, gun to your head, if you had to pick between dance and fitness, which one would you pick? If you asked me this 20 years ago, I would have said dance. But right now, being a mom and um, being in a family, I find fitness to be very convenient. And um, it's, it's doing two things at once. It's keeping me fit and it's keeping all the people that I want to keep fit fit as well. So mm. it's yeah. working both ways for me and it's keeping me really happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So I guess maybe let's start at the beginning. Could you talk us through, you know, how you got started with dance and how that kind of interest grew in your life? Um, dance was always in my life because um, I come from a family where they were all artists. Um, my mother is a Bharatanatyam dance teacher and she was teaching back in Jaffna, Sri Lanka. And then when we migrated here, she started teaching in Sydney. So I've basically been learning dancing since the time I could walk that's what my grandma says every time she sees me perform she reminds me of that <laughs> um we my mum was teaching in Tungabi and then in 1990 we moved to St. Clair and she started her own dance school there and mm. when we moved to St. Clair I met a Sri Lankan girl living on the same street and my mum invited her over to our house and she was telling my mum how she goes to a jazz tap ballet dance studio. And my mum instantly wanted to enrol me. Mm. And um, so back then we didn't have Google search. So got the number from my our new friend and rang Danielle, who has played an imperative part in my life. Um, she ran La Danielle Dance Studio in St. Clair and I joined in 1990. And 
yeah, that's when I was exposed to Western dance. And she, this is, I think this is something I really wanted to always share with everyone, especially back in 1990, having a forward thinking attitude. So even though my mother was a Bharatanatyam teacher in the Tamil community in Sydney, she always felt that dance is universal. So she told me it doesn't matter what style of dance that you do, it's a form of expression. Um, mm. So whatever dance you learn, it will always make you feel the same. And mm. um, that's what she believed and that's what she taught me about dance. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I mean, especially for like what you said, someone in 1990 to think that way in sort of the generation above. I don't know if many parents would think that way now. Uh, did you learn Badanatim as well from your mum or did you start off with the Western style first? So back in Jaffna, Sri Lanka, like I was learning Badanatim there. And then when I moved to Sydney, my mother and her sister, they both taught me Badanatim. So basically, here I am the only girl in the Tamil community in the 1990s learning jazz, tap and ballet. That's awesome. I was very lucky that uh, I went to a very welcoming and loving dance studio. The mm-hmm. principal, like Danielle, she she was so beautiful and she was so friendly. She never made me feel different. So I was very lucky to go to a dance studio that accepted who I was. Mm. And... um. I think that also affected my confidence. It really made me believe in myself um, because, you know, you're so used to your South Asian community and then suddenly you're put in a completely different environment. And when that environment is welcoming, it's like sliding doors. It could have been a dance studio that would have really, really ruined how I felt about my skin, about my culture, about my Mm. background, right? But these guys really embraced how different I was And that led my life to be a confident woman. So that played a big role in how I decided dance was going to be my full-time job. Yeah, that's so lovely to hear because, you know, on the flip side, we hear of so many stories about when people aren't embraced in that way, it forces them to feel ashamed of their own culture or feel like they have to live two separate lives. But for your mum to encourage you to explore this world and for your teacher in this Western dance school to embrace a side of um, your life that she might not have too much exposure to, that's so amazing and beautiful to hear. Um, When you started doing western dancing did you feel like you you know gravitated more towards your traditional Bharatanatyam style or your western style or did you feel like you enjoyed them both equally as much as the other I've always asked myself this sometimes like how I felt when I first started learning it to how I feel about it now after 20 years of experiencing jazz tap ballet contemporary and Mm. um, modern expressive there were there was even hip-hop funk and just funk. There was so many styles coming out and I did everything mm. because I, I'm so lucky. My parents were just like, do it, just try it. You, you just don't know. I was really lucky because I also got the scholarship at the dance studio yeah. um, when I was about 12, 13, 14. So because I received the scholarship, I was allowed to do any style I wanted. So I was mm. really lucky. And when I went to Bath and Artin dance class, it was such a different environment to go into ballet or jazz or tap. Right. So when you're learning Bharatanatyam, your teacher has the stick and she's just, you know, going, te ya, te ya, te ya, or tapka dimbi. 
we don't really get much music when we're initially mm. learning. Whereas when you jump from that, just the teachers constantly talking and instructing you to endless music, running ballet, jazz, tap, like different styles of music. Like I really loved how my teacher, my my auntie was so strict on me. But then I also loved this freedom of, you know, expressing myself here. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think it was like, again, like, like I'm this half person, I'm half Western, half Eastern, that I was able to just adjust. I'll go there and I'll automatically, I'm this Bharatanatyam dancer and then I'll go to the other one and I'm like a jazz dancer. Wow. It, there wasn't much thought. And I look back at it going, wow, I, I, I never really felt out of place when I'm there That's awesome. I felt like I belonged when I was here I felt like I belonged here too mm. I ne- I was not much of an overthinker back then so if something was just given I would just see what was the best out of it I guess mm. yeah yeah it's almost like there was different parts of you that the different dance styles almost fulfilled I mm. feel like you know the way you're speaking about it and you probably didn't think too much into it as a kid but that's the way it comes across where you were able to kind of separate the different styles so well. Um, I don't know when we were kind of briefing, you were talking about how you were one of the first South Asian girls to do Western and Eastern fusion dances. And I know you've just spoken about how you learnt so many different styles. Can you talk to us a little to how you started doing those fusion pieces in the 2000s when no one was really doing them? And if you ever received any backlash for that? So actually did fusion pieces in the 90s when I was in year 9, year 10, year 11. Like, I don't know, there wasn't much thought put into it. I just naturally did some fusion piece and whatever resonated, like when I just listened to the song and the movement just came. Love that. So, you know, we'll have like little Tamil community events in, you know, the high school halls and we did that in the 90s. And I know in the back of a lot of these South Asian communities heads they were like oh your your daughter is doing so good like they were always complimenting to my parents or my or me like how wonderful I'm doing but they weren't ready to get their daughters to do it it was it was like this weird like it was this unsaid feeling Mm. I think that's what I remember in the 90s Right. Then moving on from the 90s to the year 2000s, this is when I was doing my year 11, year 12. Um, that's when I started to really think about what I wanted to become. Um, my parents were totally fine with me doing dance full time. However, I, I just really wanted to do both. So mm. I thought, you know what, I'm going to do dance as well as pursue, you know, the cliche career. Typical <laughs> Yeah. Because I was just... I I hate to think, look back and be like, oh, I could have done this or that. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do both. And then along the line, I'll I'll decide if I can do both or I need to make a choice. Mm. So I did business studies and dance for my HSC. When I finished my HSC, I started Bachelor of Business Accounting and I started teaching for La Daniel Dance Studio and I started teaching for my mom. And um, around like 2003, 2004, Bollywood was really picking up. Yep. Mm. Everyone started getting into it. And because I was teaching at my mum's dance school, all of the students were asking me, like, Janiyaka, like, why can't we start Bollywood dance? Like, you can teach us. And back then, Bollywood didn't have any syllabus or you didn't have to do a course. But people felt comfortable coming to me because I was trained in Bharatanatyam and I was trained in Western dance. Mm. And 
I really followed the technique of dancing. If you've got the technique of dancing, I feel like all the steps will look wonderful on you. If you lack the technique, then that's my personal opinion. So then I was like, okay, uh, let me just try one class. So here, in, back in St. Clair, we used to teach at Erskine Park Community Center. And uh, on a Friday night, I decided, okay, I'm going to trial out a Bollywood class. Mm. So my Bharatanatyam students, the parents let them try their class out. And then it was just picking up, picking up. People started calling and my mom going, oh, we heard, you know, Genevieve's teaching Bollywood. Can we enroll her? <laughs> and Amma was like, you're doing a fantastic job. You can take over the school. So in 2005, wow. I took over the dance school and finally registered the business, Indian Dance School, got an ABM and got a website. I got a really good, talented friend to come up with the Indian Dance School logo, awesome. the, the feet with the bells, and I haven't changed it since. Mm. Yeah, it was great hearing about how um, you're talking about back in the day, you and your mum, for different reasons, were considered like the gold standard for dance and how even now with the stuff that you put out on your Instagram, we see you and your mum still dancing together, you know, 20, 30 years on, which is amazing. Um, and it must be so rewarding for you to see uh, being one of the pioneers back then, blending genres of dance with thumb music or Indian music to see how far that kind of community has come since yeah. back in the day. Because now there's so many people who've kind of embraced that side, which is amazing to see. And it's all because of people like you who kind of paved the way. Yes, it's... it's um been quite a journey when I reflect back on how it all started and making that critical decision back in 2007 to pursue dance full-time, uh, quit my accounting job and pursue that. In 2007, I think I was about 24, 25. And um, it's one of the best decisions I made because like, I feel happiness is what's more important than trying to find mm. job security or financial mm. security mm. and I'm I'm very grateful that that was taught to me yeah and yet IDS was the only dance school that was offering both fusion and um, we did get a lot of mixed comments about you know how can a better than I team dance teacher also teach other dance styles it was like a bit conflicted so we had like a group of people that completely believed in us and they came to learn from us. They wanted to learn Bollywood. They wanted to learn hip-hop as well as better than ITM. They really believed that you can be the best of all styles. You don't have to be really mm. good in one style. And we had people going, oh, and it, it, this is like people would actually call my mom or when they see her at an event, they'll be like, oh, I really want to send my daughter, but I'm, I want her to learn better than ITM from you. But if she comes to your dance school, I'm scared that she might lose interest in Bharatanatyam and she might just want to do Bollywood or hip hop. Mm -hmm. So there were, we had a few of those back, you know, in the early 2000s. And we also had people saying, oh, what if my daughter learns Bharatanatyam, but she's better at Bollywood and she doesn't learn Bharatanatyam properly? Like, I want her to just focus on Bharatanatyam. So I'm going to send her to a teacher that only teaches Bharatanatyam. Right. We've got a lot of that as well. But hindsight, like, my mum was really worried. She's like, oh, am I doing something wrong? And we were like, no, we're unique. And what made us really unique back in 2007, I'm, I keep going back to 2007 because that was like the point where we made a difference in the South Asian community. Yeah. People found out that, okay, this Indian dance school is not just teaching Eastern dance, they're teaching Western dance. 
And so parents felt comfortable coming to our dance studio because we were still continuing our culture, but also adapting to the Western mm. styles. And some people said, when we go to a Western dance studio, we just didn't feel like we fit in or we belong. But when we come to IDS, we get the That's best the of worlds. both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided to do a concept called East Meets West. That was the pivoting point again for IDS. We were showcasing all these young South Asian kids learning hip hop, Bollywood, Bharatanatyam. And we did like contemporary ballet as well. And, and I also did a fusion piece where I had, um, Janakan Sudendiraj. He's a Murdingham. Mm. Kish Segram, he plays the Tabalai Murudangam as well. And I was doing the Natavangam and I had two hip hop dancers and two Bharatanatyam dancers. That's oh, mad. That's and we did this in 2007. And I had my grandparents sitting at the front seat. And all I wanted to watch was their reaction while I was <laughs> doing it on stage. Um, so we were doing like pretty much a dance off Bharatanatyam and hip hop. sick. Trying to show that dance is universal. Like that's been my message this entire like mm. period of running IDS and my granddad said that he was in tears and he absolutely loved Aww. it that was like the best feeling for me yeah yeah I think it's great because I mean there's so much beauty in different dance forms to your point right it doesn't matter exactly which one you learn and the beauty of being in a multicultural society like Australia is you do have the options to learn different dance styles now, do you see that there's been a shift in that perception that people have? Do you feel like people are more open to Bhadanatyam dancers learning hip-hop and jazz? Or do you feel like there's still a bit of that tension there? It's definitely changed. Um, it's such a generation cultural shift. My generation back in the 90s, you know, we weren't allowed to talk back to our parents we weren't allowed to, you know, really express how we felt. And people were very opinionated and they were afraid to, you know, take risks and everything. Whereas now, the next generation, they're financially comfortable, they've settled in, and so their parents have set everything up for them so they can take mm. the risks. And I feel like they have a bit of freedom. For sure. Whereas back then when we, when our parents just migrated, all they wanted us to do was to study and just make it yeah. through, make a living yeah. for ourselves in Australia. Yeah, and I think it also takes seeing someone else do it, like what you've done in the community. I think it always takes someone to do it in order for yeah. parents with younger children to look at someone like you and go, oh, okay, like maybe this is not so bad. Like maybe I should encourage my kid to do something creative because look at this girl go. So like it just kind of funnels through society. I feel like, you know, brown people, we just need to see someone else do it and then we'll be like, oh, maybe it's okay. Like maybe my kid can do it too. Mm. I remember once when – um I was just finishing my HSC off and one of the aunties was like, oh, so um, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to do dance and I'm going to do business degree. And she was like, why do you want to do that? Like you just, just do the business degree. Like you know that that's going to give you a stable life. And I, I was I just kept quiet. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. Like there's no point talking back to people like that. So I just kept quiet. And there's something that my ballet teacher, Danielle, she when, you, when she was teaching me to become a teacher at her studio, she showed me this handbook, employee handbook. And the first page, it said, follow your passion mm. and the money will follow. Yeah. So mm. that gave me that belief 
you know what, if you really do what you love, it will pay you back abundantly. So you'll be fine. Mm. And I think people didn't have that mindset back then. And now we're shifting to that. And Mm -hmm. people are believing in themselves more. And I feel like Facebook, Instagram, that all plays a part in people really coming out. Like I'm seeing so many budding dancers in Sydney and they're all giving themselves a pat on the back. And and we never got that. Mm. It was always a competition thing 20 years ago. But now dancers are helping dancers and I I love that. And I wish I had that. Like back then, someone patting me on the back on the way. Yeah, I feel like... I mean, sure, it would have been lovely to have felt all of that, but I think you really need to take a lot of credit for going through that to normalize it for people who are doing it mm. and are getting those pats on the backs and that encouragement now. So, um, so yeah, it, it's people like you who we needed back then for us to be doing what we're doing now. Um, I guess to that, how were you able to kind of overcome those people who didn't believe in you or the people who might might have seen you more as competition within the space? Um. For the people that were shocked when I told them that I'm doing dance full-time, they were just really confused with my decision. I knew that their thinking is not my thinking, so I just didn't let them get to me. Mm. My parents believed in me, and I think that was enough confidence for me to... The outside world doesn't really matter. Like It's such a curry thing. Like I need my parents' blessing or like... I need that pat in the back by my from my parents. And I think that was enough for me to keep going. Mm. Yeah, and it's amazing that you've actually, because it's so difficult to cut out that noise and, and you were saying that you didn't really let other people's opinions affect you. But I think, you know, that that's a huge testament to you and it just shows your strength because I feel like it's so difficult to do that. Um, but the fact that you didn't let that get to you and the fact that you had supportive parents, because I completely agree. I think at least to have those loved ones that mean the most to you, support you would mean a lot, um, especially when you're starting something risky and new. Yeah. I mean, as a young child, as a teenager, you, you really depend on how your parents support because where else are you going yeah. to get the support, right? So it just really depends on your support network. Mm. And your character really plays a part. Like in your blood, you have to have that risk you, to, to take on that risk. And I feel like South Asians really like that in our blood. <laughs> and yep. and um, also that, that self-doubt. Till this day, I have self-doubt. But I always ask myself, if I don't make this decision, how am I going to feel? And am I going yeah. to have any regrets? Like that, that really clears your mind up. Yeah, amazing. That's some really good advice there. So all of this dance background and passion obviously eventually led you to fitness, um, which is sort of the second bit that we wanted to speak with you about today. When did you start incorporating fitness as a career in your life? Um, so I'm running my dance school full time and um this ad just pops up on TV everywhere, Zumba Fitness, Zumba Fitness, and they're showing all these videos and we're like, oh, my God, look at these people. They're, they're having a great time. And they're like, if you want to be an instructor, come and do our course. And I was like, okay. And I went online and, again, it was my mom. My mom was like, you need to be a Zumba instructor. You can teach <laughs> all the aunties. And she was like, you have to do this. You have to do this. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. And then that's how I got my Zumba license. And then – I was like telling all the mums, like they'll drop their daughters off to dancing. And I'm like, look, I'm going to start Zumba. Like, do you want to come and try? And I'll ask all the mums. And then they all came to one class. I did this like opening class 
And it was all right. They were like, oh, yeah, it's okay. But it's because the music was all like Colombian, like songs that they Mm. didn't know. And then eventually I was like, you know what? I'm going to do some Bollywood songs and some Kutu songs and like make it more fun. And so that's what I did. So I just basically um, did workouts to songs that we knew. And that just attracted like the South Asian community. That's awesome. And it's so cute. Like all the mums come. And they they are dancing like they're on the dance floor <laughs> and they're just going for it. And that was like a release for them. Yeah. Eventually they realized, wait, I came here to to lose weight. That's that's the number one mm. reason why they all come. Then they realized, wait a minute, I'm getting really fit and strong. And then eventually they realize when they miss a few classes and then they feel crap and they're like, wait a minute, this has really helped mm. me with my mental well-being as well. It's unfolded yeah. all these um, feelings that they haven't had before with fitness and that has given me motivation and the desire to keep going. Yeah. I was going to ask, because I feel like with a lot of these aunties who come, to some degree, they might need to be pushed a little bit because it might be a little bit unconventional for them to go to a class like this and dance in this way in front of a group of people who might they might not be super familiar with. Um, and then to see all of those rewards from you know the mental health and physical well-being as well. For you personally, what was that like to hear about all those success stories and how much it gave them confidence and how much it impacted their health? Um, what was your kind of reaction to hearing about all of those really rewarding things? Great. It felt really good. Like I didn't realize something that I just wanted to do for fun was actually making a really good impact on ladies that lacked the education of being fit. Mm. Like my mum's generation, it's just like they're on autopilot. They think that they're only here to, you know, live for their family, do everything for their family. And they put their family first and they don't put their health first. And eventually like, my our parents' generation, they see their parents getting sick and friends in funerals and stuff. I know it's really bad to say, but like it's come to that point. And then they're like, oh, maybe I should really put myself mm. first. And uh, unfortunately, it's those incidences that has made the South Asian women, especially more than men, think about their health. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to fill that gap. I'm going to help these people. Yeah. And that, that's, that was my greatest motivation, yeah. Yeah, and we see that too. I mean, it's one of the things I wanted to speak with you about specifically when it comes to fitness and it's obviously so important, but there's not a lot of importance given to it in the South Asian community, especially by older generations and especially by women. Um, and I see that in my own life for the longest time, like even my own mum neglected her health and all of a sudden, like during lockdown, she started going on these daily walks and like slowly has gotten so so much fitter even over the past year. And it's been fantastic to see. Um, but it's, you know, it's so common that we see that throughout. And it's almost that, I mean, I'm, I'm not a mother, so I can't speak, you know, on behalf of all mothers. But I feel like there's almost this guilt, especially for mums, where if they put themselves first by exercising then like it's almost yet again that guilt of not putting their kids before them or or taking that time out to exercise um do you see that a lot with a lot of the mothers um that maybe come to your classes you're absolutely right Romy like the guilt part it's 
even me, like it's my job. I, I'm going to teach and I still feel a little bit of guilt for leaving my family in the evening to go and teach. And it's my job. And it's just, we can't get rid of it. We can't. It's just mm-hmm. a, it's something that we women will always feel. Um, hopefully we will get rid of it in some generation time. But <laughs> I think we, we, we can't think short term. We have to think long term. Mm-hmm. So all those few minutes or few hours per week that we put ourselves first, it's for our family. So we need to mm. reprogram our mindset. That's what it is. And tell ourselves, if I go to the gym, if I do yoga, if I do dancing, if I go swimming, this is going to lead me to be fitter for my family, happier for my family and mentally, well, for myself and, and my family. So if you can reshuffle that, I think mm. you'll be able to do it without feeling guilty. Yeah. And I guess the other way to spin it is that if you are healthy, you're going to give a better version of yourself for longer in life mm. than if you weren't healthy. So that's kind of like another, um, I guess, an argument to say, you know, how often do we see that it takes a diagnosis or a bad cholesterol result for that to be the moment to shift and be like, I actually need to start being healthy from now on. But if you are consistently doing even something as little as half an hour a day, half an hour every few days, it makes a world of difference, which I feel like in our community, we completely neglect. Unfortunately, a lot of people, I don't know if it's the South Asian or just people in general, they think going to the gym or doing something active is about weight loss, but it's more than that. People really need to see the other side going. When you when you move, you are also enhancing those good feelings, the good vibes and clearing your mind and you know, getting stronger and fitter so you don't end up in a wheelchair or end up with all those, you know, um health issues as well. So I think they need to just really um, think about again not short term but long term and yeah. I'm getting I get a lot of South Asian women saying oh but I can't move as fast as you I have to do I'll go to the gym for a couple of months and then I'll do your class and I'm like no they think they need to look like mm. me to do the class as well some South Asian mm. women they feel that they're going oh Jenny if I lose a little bit more weight then I'll come to your class and I'm like mm. but do the dancing. Why does your weight or your size, why is that stopping you? People have to not wait for a moment. Mm. Yeah. And to the points that you made about thinking long-term instead of thinking short-term and, you know, how valuable exercise is for mental health and, you know, far beyond just looking fit. Are those things that you talk about during your sessions beyond just doing the activities itself? Are those things that you guys chat about? Yes. So, Face-to-face was a lot easier chatting um, <laughs> when we were doing the classes. Like well, before or after class, like I'll tell them all, like if I'm go- about to do a workout, I'll tell them what we're focusing on and how it's going to help us. And I have a WhatsApp group. So once you join my classes, I'm always sending motivational messages. That's awesome. Like just reminding them why we're doing this. And if I mm-hmm. haven't seen someone for a while coming to my class, I'll, I'll personally message them and I'll be like... <laughs> Is everything okay? Like, do you need a kick in the butt? It's a great community. <laughs> Most yeah. definitely. Um, so, I mean, this is a very obvious question, and I, but I think it's just so important, particularly with all of us in New South Wales right now in lockdown and, and amidst this pandemic still. Um, but why is physical fitness so important? It's a release. Like, 
being a person that's like I thrive on fitness, if I don't move my body for one whole day, my husband sees it. He can see this like irritable person walking around. <laughs> He's like, do you need to go for a run or do you need to like dance it out? Like, because <laughs> you, you seem like you're on the edge. <laughs> and that's how you feel when you don't move. So if you're not moving and and that anxiety and all that, you know, irritable like feeling you get it's because your body is asking you just move me just do something like even if it's for half an hour it's mentally rewarding physically rewarding and um just yeah it's it's hard to explain like it's it's easy to say it's mentally rewarding physically rewarding but it's that inside feeling that you get mm. and that inside feeling that you get is it's up to you i can tell you do it but it's up to you so just tell yourself when you get, when, this is what I do. As soon as I get up, I brush my teeth and then I put my active wear on. <laughs> That's one of the best things to do. And then because you've got it on, you want to do it now and you mm. have no reason. So you can just get up and do it whenever you need to, like in between like meetings or a lunch break, like during lockdown, mm. you can keep moving. Yeah. I actually did something similar because I noticed with last year's lockdown, before that I was really good. I was going to gym classes like six days a week. It was amazing. And then lockdown started and I completely went south. And then I was like, no, I need to pick myself up. So I would literally wear my active wear like from the morning all day I'd put on like a top over it all when I have to take like work calls and things like that but like down the bottom I'm just wearing my tights and then I've got no excuse because I'm already in the clothes so after Mm. work I'll just do my workout so it really does help but you're so right it's not just about looking a certain way um, and I think people are, are realizing that now. I feel like there was this obsession with looking a certain way and exercise to look a, a certain way, particularly with women. But it's it's way beyond that, and it's really it really comes down to that mental well being. I think more than anything. And another thing with the South Asian women is that they think they need to be at level ten to join. Like it's okay to be in level zero. And they're so scared to join because they think that I expect them to come three times a week or four times a week and then they have to do the full hour. And I'm like, no, just take baby steps, baby steps. Just do 15 minutes and then add another five minutes, add another five minutes, and then you can get your one hour. Like we associate fitness and, you know, workouts as like this whole hour workout. It doesn't have to be an hour. It can be like 15 minutes. Yeah, I was the same when I signed up for gym. Uh, because I was always like, uh, I'm this lanky, scrawny brown guy. I'm going to go to the gym and people are going to be like, oh, like, what the hell is this guy doing? Right. But then when you're at the gym, no one cares. Everyone's just kind of doing their own thing. Everyone understands that you're at the gym to work hard. It doesn't matter where you're at. You're there to improve. And that's all that matters. Right. Um, so I guess to your point, it's the same thing. You know, just come. Uh, everyone understands that people are at different fitness levels and we're all working to improve. And that's all that it's about. That's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know you, you touched on this a little bit before, but what would your advice be to anyone, regardless of their age, who's trying to get back into fitness or just starting to dip their toes into it a little bit? I know you mentioned a couple of things before, but what um, would you recommend? One of the, um, in my welcome emails, when someone joins or I'm trying to promote, I always say it's never too late mm. to do anything. I truly believe that, you know, we have an age, just for records. Mm. Otherwise, we can be any age we want to be. Use that to your advantage and stop saying, oh, I'm 40, I can't do it, or I'm 30, it's too late. Like, yeah, just, just, start. just do it. 
Yeah, definitely. And as a follow-up question from that, for people who might have loved ones in the South Asian community or in their families, um, how would you how how would you recommend they approach a conversation with those people to encourage them to be more conscious about exercise and fitness in their lives? Look, I, I face I'm facing it with my parents right now. Like my mom is very active. She dances and she you know, runs around for the family all the time. And my dad, he plays golf like five days a week. And now they're in lockdown and they're not moving. And mm. I have no filter. So I basically, I'm like, you need to get up right now and you need to go for a walk. And I want you to be walking outside for an hour and you better have done 5,000 steps at least. Like I'm like military <laughs> with my parents because I feel like I have a responsibility because if mm. anything happens to them, I'm going to be like, oh, I never did anything about it, right? Mm. So um, for the kids that are like, you know, are looking out for their parents, just check in on them, ask them, like, you know, mm. and, and try and find out what they really like. Like, do they like yoga or swimming or dancing or just going to the gym or mm. like just find out and then maybe give a gift voucher, you know, or go with them and be like, hey, do you want to do something together? Like you have to just – try yeah. and find a way like my mom loves it when I'm military style with it and I'm telling her what to do so if that's the style your parents work well with then go for it mm. yeah for my family the military style definitely doesn't work what does work is a uh, hey let's do something together uh because it's family time as well as uh doing something that we're trying to get them to do so yeah I feel like playing to not using one rule as thumb, you know, playing to the person you're trying to convince um, always works. Um, as a way of kind of wrapping up, do you have any recommendations for our audience? I feel a bit embarrassing, but I've, I've been reading, you know, Michelle Obama's Becoming. Why is that embarrassing? You know what's the embarrassing part of it? I got the um, teenager's version. I didn't know there was a teenager's version. What's the difference? The, she's changed like the language a bit like made it a bit more oh, age appropriate cool. some of the stories yeah because I was at the bookstore getting books for my kids and then I was like you know what I need to get a book for myself I'm so glad I got it before lockdown yeah. and it's nice because she gives you an insight of how life was as a black woman in America so I love it awesome oh, nice. well Jananiaka, thank you so much for your time today it's been so fun speaking with you Thank you so much for having me. You guys are so good. You're both so talented and thanks for having me. It's been really nice just to reflect on everything that I've done. It's not like mm. I reflect on it every day. So the questions that you've asked me has really, really um, made me realise, wow, it's been that long. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Check out our episode notes for where you can sign up for Janini's awesome classes and catch her on Instagram at GetFitJanini. Join us next week for the third and final part of this health series, where we're joined by Nero Dayalan, emotional resilience and freedom coach and founder of Unconventional. Nero shares his emotional and inspirational story and discusses the importance of unlocking a strong mindset and navigating mental health. Can't wait for that one. We'll see you then. Bye.